Hello, lovelies. Welcome to the Fat Joy Podcast, where we talk each week about how to flourish in an anti-fat world. I'm Sophia, a fat person and professional coach who loves talking to other fat people about what it's like to live within oppressive systems that marginalize our bodies and how we still dare to have the audacity and courage to reach towards our collective liberation and embrace our joy. Please know this is an adult content podcast, so there will be swears, we will be talking about harms we've experienced, and we will be rebelling against diet culture, anti-fatness, ableism, racism, etc. If you'd like to support the Fat Joy podcast and get bonus content as a thank you, please check us out at patreon.com fatjoy. I am so glad you're here with us. Enjoy. Hello, lovelies, and welcome back to the Fat Joy podcast. I am very excited to be joined by Anne McLattery. Um, I found out about Anne from an Instagram account. I think I ran across somehow, I don't even remember, maybe someone referred to it about the work that Anne is doing as a medical student. Talk about getting to the root of anti-fat bias. Anne is making waves at the University of British Columbia, and I'm so excited to have Anne here to tell us all about it. Welcome, Anne. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here and excited about this podcast's very existence. So yeah, right? So great. Yes, needed. Well, very needed. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I have on my, I'm always, I'm collecting, I'm always collecting like other fat people doing podcasts talking about fat stuff and there it's there really is like I have I don't know maybe 15 in my in my podcast list and so need more I'm, I'm excited to contribute to that to, to the growth of that um so Anne why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself yeah so um I am a fourth year medical student in the northern program which is based out of Prince George at the University of British Columbia I grew up in Prince George originally, and then I went to Victoria, and I did my undergrad in in theater there, and then I did a master's in theater history, and then I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, but all while I was doing grad school, I was actually working at a medical clinic doing um, what's called a medical office assistant position, and I just realized that I felt so helpful and useful just working at the front desk, and I started to wonder, like, what would it be like to be on the other side of the door? And is that something I could do? Um, I'd been brought up in a very like arts centric home and it was like, oh, you can't do science. <laughs> Don't even try, which was kind of nice in, in high school because I didn't particularly want to try. But uh, then I was like, but I want to try now. <laughs> and everyone in my family thought I was uh, uh, making a pretty interesting decision to say the least. But uh I went back to school. I did my upgrading. It took me a couple of a couple of stabs at a couple of courses, but I I got here eventually. And um, yeah, I I got accepted to medical school in 2018. Started in 2019, and here I am. <laughs> wow! Wow! Oh my gosh! We're gonna dig into all of that even further. I have so many questions. I'm so curious about. Oh my God, so many things. I'm not going to ask them all now. I'm going to ask instead, <laughs> what's your relationship to the word fat? And then we're going to dive into all the other things. Yeah, so I identify as a fat person. I um, think it took me a while to arrive at, at the comfort with with that. Uh, I owe a lot to um, 
some podcasts in my life. Uh, She's all fat. And um, just coming to, you know, Aubrey Gordon, obviously, legend. Uh, (laughs) Who has agreed to be on this podcast, by the way? Oh, my gosh. Congratulations. Oh, my gosh. I know. Amazing. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that's... Um, but I grew up, I think, like not, you know, fat was the dreaded, the dreaded word. Um, you know, that was the worst case scenario. That was thing to be avoided at all costs. So, yeah. And were you fat when you were younger? Um, no, I wasn't, but I believed I was. Um, That's my story too. Yeah. 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 So it's kind of almost the same thing in some ways. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of self self-fulfilling prophecy uh you know but you know I was made to believe I, I you know or that if I wasn't fat it was it was certainly coming and I needed I was responsible for not letting that happen and I was a failure if I did let that happen and classic you know I it's not that I, I blame my parents in in particular they were absolutely doing the best that they could with what they had but what they had was 80s and 90s diet culture and that's <laughs> and Women's World magazine and yeah and you know yo-yo dieting and so it was it was difficult um, but I'm comfortable with it now. It's really important to me, like as an identifier, um, and it's you know something that I'm working at destigmatizing in, in my daily life but is a real uphill battle in medical school turns out yeah and that's what I'm so excited to talk to you about because as a fat person myself as I have I have so many conversations with other fat people being in medical settings is the worst it's the worst I just, yeah, and, you know, as my as my body size changed up, down, sideways, all over the place, you know, I, I, re- I just noticed the way I was treated shifted accordingly. And, yeah, this whole, the space and, well, the space to be fat in a medical setting, whether it's a checkup with your family doctor or seeing a specialist or anything surgical or any kind of procedure, Every aspect of it is tinged by anti-fat bias. <laughs> very, and it feels very overt, even when sometimes mm-hmm. it's unconscious with the people we're working with. So this is such a big one. So that's why I was so excited to talk to you. And I'll say um, the previous, so I've, I've got you kind of, I'm really grateful the way this worked out. I've got you kind of in a series of three podcasts back to back. The first series. I actually spoke with Reagan Chastain. I don't know if you're familiar mm, with Reagan's yes, work. Yeah. So I did a two-parter with Reagan where, um, you know, we talked about like Weight Watchers and Noom and like weight loss companies. Then we also talked about, you know, uh, weight loss surgery. So those conversations happened. And then the episode right before your episode, um, it was, is with a a family, a primary care physician, a family doctor in the U.S. who has a fat positive trans-positive, queer-positive medical practice that is outside of, like, the insurance-run medical practices in the U.S. Oh, wow. Yeah, so fascinating. And then now to get to talk to you, again, this series just worked out beautifully, where we're actually going into the root of medical training with the work that you're doing. So 
I'm so grateful that you're doing this. And I would love for you to share, like, what is it? I keep talking about this thing that you're doing. So what are you doing? And <laughs> what are you trying to do? <laughs> I'm everything I'm doing, I, I'm not doing alone. Um, so you know, I'm not, I don't have one big project that I'm personally working on. It's been a series of like fighting back throughout all of medical school and calling out um, weight discrimination when I see it and making a lot of complaints and going to talk to professors and being like, hey, that picture you showed was actually really crummy and I think you should take it down. And like just little things and like trying to speak up for fat people um, in small groups with my peers. So it started out with things like that. And I did know throughout medical school that like I did want to take on a larger project fighting weight bias. Um, so you knew going in, like you were like, all right, I'm a fat person. I'm applying to medical school. I know. Pits. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I realized how bad it would be. Yeah. Yeah. Like how, like how bad was it? It's just every single lecture, you know, it's pictures of fat people with like diabetes stamped over them. It's pictures of fat people with garbage coming out of their bodies. It's lecturers starting off converse, a whole lecture series being like, obesity is now linked to 17 kinds of cancer. It's, um, it's just the, it's just the inbaked assumption that, that, um, fatness is wrong and fatness is bad and we are right to try to combat fatness and, Wow, I didn't realize it was that blatant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I didn't realize it would be either, to be honest. You know, I came from, an, I came from before that I'd been working in like, um, I'd been volunteering with the sexual assault center and I'd been working in a women's shelter and worked for the crisis line. And so I'd been coming from a place that was like fairly trauma informed and um, kind of more left left leaning and, and more about identity politics. And so it was a big shift for me. I felt like I was stepping back in time, to be honest. To be, and I was like, oh, we're just, we're just, we're just putting, we're just saying that. Okay. <laughs> um, did you want to quit? Um, I didn't want to quit, but I didn't want to be there either. <laughs> so the nice thing was that UBC had options to do a lot of your lectures from home. So I definitely found like the first semester I was like, my hair started falling out. I was so, so anxious. Like I was like not not going to school. Um, but the first semester was in you was in Vancouver, um, and then the second semester, thank goodness, I got to come to Prince George, and we have a much smaller cohort in Prince George. And I had made by by second semester, I'd made some really good friends, and one of them actually lived with a health at every size dietitian, so she was really informed, and I just. Just having that one advocate, that one ally who I knew was always going to be speaking up for for people like who looked like me, and it just made all the world of difference. And so once I got to Prince George, things started to calm down, and I had my people. And like one of my one of the people I'd met in my first semester in Vancouver also came to Prince George. She's actually the one who runs the Instagram account that you found. Her name is Allison Allison Miller, and she you know, she really took up the cause. Like she came from a completely opposite spectrum and I'm just so thrilled that she, it was, means the most to me. She listened to me. She took what I was saying like truly and like she did the work and I just am so grateful to have allies like like her in my life. That's huge. You're right. Like that one person so that, because I often feel I'm just always the angry fat woman being like, hang on, but no, but but that's wrong. And 
And then it's like, and then the, it's funny, I talk with Reagan about this too. Like then everyone just assumes, oh, well, isn't that just convenient? You're talking about, cause you're fat. And I just, we need the non-fat people to be allies. Exactly. And so I'm so grateful to my my peers in, in med school who kind of took up this cause and, and are using their, their like, um, privilege, their size privilege for, for good. Um, shout out. Yes. Shout out to Allison, <laughs> Julia. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. And so anyway, sorry, that was a lot of backstory. The project I'm working on now is there, um, we have a research block in, in fourth year where we can do any project. So finally I was like, okay, this is the time that I'm going to, you know, finally do something other than just like kind of poke people and say, hey, you're doing a bad job. Uh, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> So I'm really, really grateful. There's a new um, doctor who just finished her residency named Dr. Katerina Wind, um, based out of Vancouver. And she had a um, weight bias, like workshop and seminar that she was running, um, which is the first I'd seen anything to do with. Um, and it was completely optionary, like optional. Um, oh. And so I signed up for it. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I <laughs> Come on, UBC Medical. Should be mandatory. She's, she's not affiliated with, um, like, this workshop is not really affiliated with UBC, except for that it's a research project that that students can sign up for. So, oh, so is there anything in medical training around weight bias? There's one lecture in first year where they sort of mention that weight is multifactorial and that it's not all an individual's fault and then they immediately talk about diabetes for an hour right and have pictures of fat bodies with garbage coming out of them oh and what about i have to ask too because i mean it's pretty widely known the bmi is bullshit is any of that talked about in medical school yeah they'll be like what are some problems with in like one of the small groups will be like what are some problems with the bmi and then we'll be like but we use it anyway <laughs> And we're not making any any way to change it. At least there's, that's honest. And the only thing <laughs> they really talk about is like, you know, oh, it was developed for a population and it doesn't necessarily apply to people of other ethnicities. And then they're like, anyway, we talked about it. <laughs> okay. I mean, I have to say, like, thank you for these details because it does help me have a little more patience and compassion when I interact, like I can imagine just being like, oh yeah, right. Like they are just, these professionals I deal with are so given one perspective and then that's reinforced by everything else, the pharmaceutical companies, the the research that is completely biased. So that's helping a little bit, but it's still so bad. Yeah, and it's hard because even if somebody does try to say something like, well, we should be considerate about the way we treat fat people or whatever, um, you know, the, your next lecturer will come in and be like, <laughs> heart disease, heart disease, heart disease, obesity, obesity, obesity. And, you know, it's just, it, it's, and, and, you know, that is the nature of medical school is we don't have consistent teachers, right? We have people who come in who are experts in their field. And so it's hard to police. And I don't know if you should police, like, you know, several dozen um, doctors on the language that they're choosing to use and the message that they're trying to put across. And some of them, it, they just don't even know the bias is in them that so they don't know to address it, you know? Well, I mean, what, I'm curious about how 
things like racism and privilege and power are treated? Like, is are there conversations about how to have an anti-racist practice? Like, that's it's that shouldn't be that far from. No, I actually thought they did a like. Obviously, I'm a white person, so my experience in med school is, is different, and I understand from some of my colleagues who are of color that it's it's been a different experience for them. But efforts were at least made on behalf of the school that um, to address racism and queerness. You know, we did have like specific lectures dedicated to those subjects, and we had like an indigenous module that we were working through and we had some group sessions to talk about, you know, the history of colonialism and and the effects on indigenous people in Canada. So yeah, they're, they're definitely doing things in, in those realms, um, which I think is really, really positive. I know there's still work to be done, but I'm, you know, they take, they seem to do take those things more seriously. Okay. All right. So definitely you've got your work cut out for you. So this, the Instagram account the, that I found, the group that is working together, I, remind me, what's the name of it? Um, I think it's like, I'll be very honest. It's Allison's did all the work. I, she, I'm just friends with her. Uh, UBC med underscore weight inclusive care. Um, yeah, so that's Allison's um, research broad, like her, her research block was kind of devoted to setting this up and just trying to, trying to get some information out there for people. Um, my particular work is more of a, I'm working with two other students in second year and we're doing a presentation to put on for the first and second years um, in Prince George about weight inclusive care or like anti-fat bias. Um, and we're doing that under the supervision of Dr. Wind. Um, so yeah, I've been doing a, I've been doing a big research project on, um, like my my little corner of of the presentation is like how to make spaces physically inclusive and like, um, so including like waiting rooms, posters, chairs, um, and then also like specific exams, like taking blood pressure correctly, um, how to do pelvic exams on somebody whose cervix might be difficult to find. Yeah. Can you give us some details? Like, I'd love to talk about, um, um, I'm just writing a note here, procedures, because I think these are, this would be really helpful. So how are you destigmatizing physical spaces? Like, what does that mean? What do you do differently in an exam room, for example? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I did like the academic research, um, which talked about like making sure that you have um, a variety of seating, like armless chairs, chairs that are broader and have a greater depth and chairs that actually have the weight capacity to hold more than um, whatever average chairs hold. I think it's like 250 pounds. I want to jump in and interrupt for one second because I'm going to say you're doing this for, for medical office spaces. Anyone who's listening who runs any kind of restaurant, any kind of other physical space, a spa, retail places, please listen and follow what Anne is doing. Okay, continue, Anne. I just want to like advocate for all physical spaces to think about this. And yeah, and then being mindful of the spacing, like don't have aisles that people have to squish their way through, make sure that it's like open space. And obviously this is resource dependent and I can't expect 
every office to be able to accommodate this, but just if people are setting up an office, something to keep in mind. Um, and then when it comes to weighing and scales, like trauma-informed care around that, like asking consent and explaining why, if a weight is absolutely necessary and why it is necessary, and getting the patient's consent to weigh them, allow for blind weighing, make sure it's in a private space. Blind weighing means the person can turn away and not look? Or the number is facing only the practitioner and not the... And they don't say it. So you would basically not have to know. Okay. You don't make any comment on it. You just say, thank you, write it down and move on to the next thing. And then making sure you have scales that can accommodate people of bigger body, with bigger bodies. Because one of the papers I was reading was talking about how, you know... Their before their practice had an appropriate scale, they would be taking people to the grocery store, to the zoo, to like. Pardon me. Yeah. Oh, Anne, I can't. I can't. That makes me. I literally could cry. I know. And the the article I was reading was specific to people who are, um, uh, who use wheelchairs, and so you have. You know, they're like, well, we don't have a scale that can accommodate a wheelchair and we need to know your weight. So we have to take you to the grocery store where they have a produce. The fucking zoo? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I've never heard that before. And I'm really deeply horrified in this moment. It was not good. Uh, yeah, that article is definitely op eye-opening. And then other things we were talking about, in like that I came across was like signage, like are your, your, the signage in your office openly promoting weight loss. And um, at this point, I, I should actually shout out um, my friend Alexandra Shu, and she runs, a, a, she's a weight inclusive uh, fat activist um, counselor who, who runs Selkie Counseling. And she put a call out for me to people because I, I wanted to not just hear from the academic side, but also to hear from fat people themselves. And uh, she was kind enough to put a call out to her her followers for me. I'll link to Selkie Counseling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who gave me some some feedback that because I, I was like I don't just want like I'm for my official project it's supposed to just be academic sources but for my own personal like the presentation I'm going to put on I want to hear from actual fat people and what are the things that they yeah I mean patient narrative is a legit form of research but it, it could only be academic for your project for for this project like I was just doing a lit review so I had to use academic but but I'm hoping to in the future like I'm working with Dr. Wind one of the projects we have for like the future is like actually talking to to fat people <laughs> and like having focus groups and talking about Imagine these things. Imagine that talking to the people who know. Yeah. So I'm I'm still in the very like preliminary stages of my research um so I was just like what's out there already and um and can I just say and I'm curious about the fact that you did actually find research that was good. I talked with Reagan quite a bit about this too, because there's so much of the research out there is deeply, deeply biased, paid for by the Novo Nordisks of the world. Like, so how, how did you go about wading through? How did you find even? Like a lot of it is not, like a lot of it is still very deeply biased, but they also sort of make suggestions about how to be accommodating in physical space. And then I did find a couple of articles that were like not related to healthcare that were unbiased or, or not, or who were written by, by fat people. Like there was a thesis project and another one talking about like chairs in, in public spaces, like library chairs. And I decided to keep those in my lit review 
um, because I knew that I was, they were like first person narratives, whereas the other articles were mostly like practitioners talking about obese body, quote unquote obese, sorry, to be clear. <laughs> I'm using air quotes anytime I say that. Oh my God, you must hear that word so much. Every single day, yeah, it's the pits. Um, <laughs> um, so, you know, it, at first I typed in like <laughs> health at every size, like office. And then I was like, oh, the keyword I have to use for this kind of research right now is obesity. So did you find that when you were doing the research, were you diving into some of the fat studies work that is being done by academics? Did it kind of cross into that? I did. Well, I found one that I don't think I ended up using for my actual project, but it was about kind of fat community on and um, online and how I think it was specifically women, fat women were finding community online to learn how to best advocate for themselves in healthcare spaces. Yes. Oh yeah, there's lots of that. Yeah, which, and it was kind of an article um, that was qualitative and was interviewing um, some people who had, had found this kind of community and, and what they had um, gained from being part of that community and it was actually a really touching article and I was like not quite what I what's going to fit for my lit review but I'm glad I read it <laughs> yeah are you part of any of those like I'm part of like a ton of Facebook groups that are all about like fat chat and I'm part of some medical ones and yeah because I just I do I find I learn way more and I put out questions and get really good answers good answers I exactly <laughs> I know I'm a, I'm a bit of a leech and I just kind of like hang out on the outskirts and be like, if I need help, I ask my friend Alexandra. I'm just like, hey, can you help me? Because she, she did her, her whole master's in counseling. She also focused on on weight bias. So I definitely owe all of what I know to people who have been working before me. <laughs> yeah, that's so great to have to have that community. I think it's such an essential part of, I mean, I imagine for many marginalized bodied people, but Certainly, I have found that that community piece of knowing that I'm not alone has been so important. Yeah. Yeah, I've been really lucky to have fat friends in my life who when med school was making me absolutely upset <laughs> to have fat people who I can go back and be like, have I been gaslighting myself? Is it actually really bad to be fat? <laughs> to have them be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm so glad you had that I can't believe your hair was falling out like that's a really good indicator of what's happening oh my god Anne <laughs> I was like oh this is new <laughs> and you're in your you're in your fourth fourth year yeah that's right so I'll be finishing up pretty soon yeah yeah so what have been as you have been advocating and being the person who speaks out and inspiring other people to speak out you know to to be allies what are the risks that you've had to take like what challenges have you had to face i can just like were you worried about lower grades backlash like it's a real power dynamic that happens in academia you know the professor has all the power you're a student why would you deign to know more than them like i, I i'm so curious about that like that tension and then still using your voice? I think definitely, 
I found it easier to come forward when we were doing the non-clinical stuff. So when it was lectures and when I had specific evidence of stuff, I would, I'd be like, I, there's a complaint process I can follow. I can speak to student affairs. I can, there's somebody I can approach and say, hey, this is discriminatory. Discriminatory. You need to take this video down. You need to not include this slide in your lectures. You need to, you know. And did it happen? They said that they would take it down for the year after our year. So, (laughs) well, okay. (laughs) We've all watched it by now. And there was no like, oh, by the way, people, that video was discriminatory. Please strike it from your brain record. No, of course not. Yeah, they're like... Well, we won't do anything this year, but we'll we'll take it down next year. And that was only after I I not only came forward, but I encouraged all of my allies to also come forward so so that there would be multiple complaints about this one slide so that they would um Well, can I ask what the slide was? Oh, it was a slide with like four large bodied people and it said like hypertension on one of them, diabetes, you know, like what assholes. All that stuff happens to thin people too. Like, come fucking on. I know. And and it was hard because at first when I was like upset and but like a body size is not specifically mentioned as discrimination in, in our like thing. But I talked to student affairs and they're like, oh no, that definitely counts. So you definitely can speak up. And so maybe they'll change their like the at uh, the wording into oh my God. There's so many things. It's it's hard. It and so Yeah, like I think I had those little victories along the way, but I think as like my first and second year progressed, which is mostly non-clinical and like small groups, and I just found that I was advocating so much that I started to like get pretty triggered. (laughs) And I started to like, anytime I wanted to bring it up or anytime I felt anybody was being unjust, I would get like very tearful, which made me really embarrassed. And so then I was like, oh, great, this is making it worse because now I look like a quote-unquote hysterical <laughs> bad person, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's fun. Um, so that was difficult. But And then when I moved into clinical... And clinical means you're working Working with- in the hospital or in, in the clinic, like you're actually treating patients. I found it a lot harder to come forward about, you know, because you are getting directly getting feedback from these people um you have to work with them again you know there's such a oh your supervisors you mean like people who are yes we call them preceptors they're like a doctor who is your teacher um who's like your clinical teacher they have a lot of power over they have a lot of power yeah and just your day-to-day and like hospitals are such hierarchical places and i i definitely found it harder to advocate on behalf of patients you know, if I'm one-on-one with a patient, I can say what I want. But if my preceptor is saying things that I don't necessarily agree with, I personally have a harder time speaking up, which is definitely something I need to work on. But yeah, well, that that's so hard, though. Again, you're talking about power dynamic and privilege. And do you do you get I'm just imagining a scenario where it would be expected that you would talk to the patient about weight loss. And I imagine that might be a conflict. Like, do you get, I don't know, points docked or I don't know how the supervision works, but like, if you don't say, like, do you find you just, you have to say it, you kind of have to go along with the company line? I'm sure other students have found themselves in that situation. I thankfully 
you know, if I have been told to go have those conversations, I've done it one-on-one. And so I've got to put my own spin on it or else I remember one time a pediatrician I was working with, the mom was concerned about her, her daughter's weight. And he asked me to field the, the question. And luckily I was able to say, oh, the pediatrics recommend that you don't actually speak to your children about weight. And you just, you know, and like, he didn't have a problem with that at all. So that was a big relief that I was able to not like have to be like, yeah, your kid is too fat and needs to lose weight because that's not what I wanted to say. At five years old, you know, or whatever. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. So, yeah, it, like I actually found that was more of an issue in my non-clinical. Like there were definitely clinical experiences that were really yikes. But um, overall, it just didn't come up as much as when you're in lectures and it's just being like, beaten into you every single day like fat is bad fat is bad fat is bad fat is bad Mm -hmm. I had no idea it was so pervasive yeah or maybe and you know maybe that's all I remember so maybe it's like more intense for me like but it was a couple years ago now (laughs) yeah but I mean that's where again like I I'm I'm so surprised like why do medical schools not have a trauma-informed approach like to me it just makes so much sense that that should be part of the curriculum there should be deep anti-oppression work being done by all the faculty. I mean, it's it's how we treat people. It's how we question our own power and authority. Like, yeah, I don't. And I think things are changing. I have a friend who's in first year at, at Western University right now, and she said they actually did have a lecture about weight bias. So, you know, I think things are are changing, but I just didn't see them really changing when I was in first and second year. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And I can't speak for the curriculum now because I, I don't know what's in first and second year currently. Well, I'm hoping the rebelliousness and the complaints <laughs> that you lodged and I hope that's having a ripple effect through into that curriculum. Are you really proud of yourself for doing it? Oh, I'm tired. <laughs> and I feel like I'm so exhausted and I did so little. <laughs> so it's so... But uh, I'm feeling more resilient now after a couple of years of clinical practice and having uh, my supervisor, Dr. Wind, who actually cares about this work. She's the first doctor I've run into who knows anything about health at every size. And she said she hasn't met another doctor in Canada. She has to like rely on her colleagues from the States. Yeah, we're not we're really far behind on on that. Yeah, at least in the U.S., there's like. There are directories that you can go to to find health at every size and form doctors. And I've combed them looking for people in Canada. And I found nutritionists and I found like trainers, but no doctors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So any Canadian doctors out there who are listening, this would get you so many clients. I know. Oh, my gosh. So that's my dream is to one day just have like a happy fat clinic. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Could you please? I was going to ask, like, yeah, so what what happens now? Do you do you have to, like, what happens now when you graduate? Are you, like, Dr. McGlattery? Uh, I'm technically Dr. McGlattery, but I'm still a resident doctor. So when I, um, I, I'm applying for residencies right now, so I don't know where I'll be next year. So I'm applying across the country. Um, Amazing. And I'll see, well, different a few different sites um, and see where I get interviews and then we'll kind of look at the options and who's given me an interview and where we think would be the best fit for for us. Amazing. Do you know, are you going to specialize or are you going to be a GP? Like what's your, what's your goal? Do you know? 
Yeah, I want to be a family doctor. Yeah, I, I really enjoy emergency medicine as well. And I would like to do more palliative care. I haven't done a lot of palliative care yet, but I have, I used to volunteer for hospice and I'm definitely interested in it. So um, I'm still pretty open. I'm like trying to write my letters and I'm like, oh, do I want to do rural? Do I want to do urban? Do I like, so I'm thinking kind of semi, semi-rural is where I'd be happiest, where I have some resources, but I still have a, a fairly broad scope of practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's so exciting. One of the things I I would love to know, and this might just be the coach in me, but I also think it's just so interesting to think about, which is what kind of what resources within yourself did you have to develop? Did you have to enhance? Did you have to pull on like to be able to get through the last four years, to be able to be that squeaky wheel? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I look back and I was just like blind panicked. I don't know. Is that a quality? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> blind panic. I, you know, I really came to value my support network and having fat community was um, absolutely essential or, or um, community who, who have a understanding of fat politics or who are willing to learn. That's the key, right? Can you tell pretty quickly if someone's Yeah, I'm I'm just really lucky. I made such a good group of friends in Prince George and even people who hadn't come from that space before, the the friends I made were were willing to listen to me and, you know, like me as a a person and not, you know, not take one look at my body and be like, "Oh, well, you don't belong in med school. You, you know. It's right. you're obviously XYZ stereotype." There's not, there's not a lot of fat people in med school, turns out. <laughs> yeah. So I definitely didn't have any, like, fat colleagues in, in school. Um, so I'm lucky I had those, those people outside. And I guess I just, you know, I, if it's important to me, I'm going to keep squeaking, keep being that squeaky wheel and even if it's in like small doses <laughs> when i when i can tolerate it and mm-hmm. yeah i think one of the hardest things is that the labor does fall on often on the shoulders of the people who are marginalized and you know I, that's where the ally piece is so so important so i'm so glad you had that and oh my gosh mm-hmm. i mean i can honestly i i come from a medical family so i'm i have a little bit and i've actually worked in medical clinics as well and um i can just imagine the tenacity the stubbornness the courage the resilience that you must have had to draw on to to show up each day and to speak out and to and also the extra added work of like researching the policies is there a clause for size blah like going through all the bureaucracy as well all reading all the fine print like where where can i hang this complaint on and that's a lot of work and i'm exhausted just thinking about it it felt like such a big emotional toll for such a little result but I guess it's better than nothing. And I feel like in my small groups, I really, it was funny though, in my small groups, I would be speaking up and being like, you know, hey, maybe don't just tell somebody, well, go to the gym. You'll, you know, 
Um, and then one day, one of my well-meaning, much younger colleagues reached out and was like, I have some experience with weight loss if you want to talk. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you missed the point entirely. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> no. I, yeah, I'm sorry you got the fe- like freshman 15 and then magically burned it off because you're a you're a, like a professional athlete. I yeah. don't know what to tell you. Like, good job. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. Um, so these little changes have happened. You're going to bring them into your practice. I'm so excited that you're going to be out practicing in the world. And, yeah, yeah oh my I gosh. am too. I'm looking forward to, like, the next two years I'll be residents. I'll be working under other doctors. But eventually I'm really hoping to have my own space because I've got a lot of ideas for what I want to put Yay! Oh, my gosh. Um, how do you feel about your decision now to go to med school? I'm glad I did it. Yeah. Every day that I work with patients, I come home and I'm like, yep, made the right decision. Happy to be here. Just have a lot to learn. Feel like I never am keeping up. Uh, it's a, just a massive amount of information. Uh, feel like, oh, gosh, I'll never know everything. <laughs> but um, happy to be doing the work I'm doing. I don't, I don't regret it at all. I think healthcare is really important and I'm glad to be able to provide the type of healthcare I want to be providing as best I can. Yeah. And your family, who was very shocked at your decision, how are they now? <laughs> oh, well, as soon as I got into med school, it was like they'd never questioned my decision at all. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they're very, they're very proud. I'm yeah grateful to have their support. Another thing I'm really curious about is the influence of pharmaceutical companies at the med school level. Like, are things sponsored? Like, do they start to show up in that space? No, actually, I found that UBC has been really good about you know we only use generic names for drugs. Um, we haven't had any med like I haven't noticed any like branded material from pharmaceutical industries. You know. Um, very occasionally we'll have a lecturer who uses like the brand name for a drug, um, but it's the anomaly, not not the rule for sure. And um, yeah, I've, I found it, you know, on the one hand, it's kind of like then I get into clinical practice and I'm or like clerkship, clinical clerkship. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what any of these drugs are because I learned them by completely different names. But <laughs> now I just have to learn them all twice. Um, but no, I, I haven't really felt and, and, you know, lecturers are required to um, announce any conflicts of interest they have when they're giving presentations. And, you know, I do find it's fairly, like, evidence, evident, like, not fairly, it is evidence-based usually when they provide the different trials that they're using to base this off, like, their decisions off of. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I know is so deeply biased in the research, though, is that research around kind of weight loss drugs or weight loss surgeries is that usually they stop measuring like maybe a year. Right. So there's no like long term studies. Did you come in? Did you come across that? Is that showing up at all? It's interesting. We talked a lot about, you know, the quote-unquote, like, harms of obesity and that the general recommendation was to lose weight, but we didn't really get into how best to lose weight that possible for people. Yeah, but we, you know, people weren't usually like, you're, you know, 
usually they're just like, anyway, recommend the Mediterranean diet and let's move on. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it's just basically, it's just such a given. Like it's such a deeply entrenched bias that no one, like no one even questions. It's like, yep, we should breathe air in order to survive. Yep. We should lose weight in order to, yeah. Okay. So it's just so baked in there. There's no questioning. And I don't specifically remember any um, lectures about bariatric surgery or really touching on bariatric surgery, which, um, so I just don't, you know, don't have much to say about, about that. Cause I didn't, we didn't really, there's so much in medicine, you know, you can't have a lecture on every single thing. Yeah. 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 Oh, so interesting. So, yeah, like, can I ask, what do you dream of doing differently when you have your own practice? Um, I just want to be, I want to have an inclusive space, which is what I've been reading about. Um, making sure everybody feels welcome and comfortable and not recommending weight loss because I don't think it's a worthwhile recommendation and meeting people where they are at and just trying to provide kind and knowledgeable and respectful healthcare. <laughs> Yes, please, Anne. Please do that. Please start your own medical school um, <laughs> that that trains that trains others. I just, I, it would be so profound to have a shift in medical settings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, I think it's coming. Doctor Wind has set up a workshop series, a three part workshop series that she's running for. Um, again, right now it's voluntary for students who are interested. They can sign up for that. But I think she's hoping to expand it to make it a like, Canadian medical education course so that physicians can also take it. So like she's doing amazing work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'll see if Dr. Wind has a website or anything like that. I'd love to include it. Too. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you. Okay. I don't know what she has, but I'll, I'll find it. Yeah. It yeah. Just, I just think that's fascinating. I have a few, you know, like friends, people I know who are physicians, and we've talked about this. And I remember there's one article someone sent me that was about um, weight stigma in medical settings. But the problem was, and I this is I wrote back to them and I said, you know, here's the problem though. This is great that they're talking about weight stigma, but the underlying assumption is still that fatness is badness. That if you're fat, you're unhealthy. Like that is weight stigma mm -hmm. <laughs> like mm, yeah <laughs> it's like it didn't get it didn't get to the core of what the problem is yeah 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 so we still have a long ways to go for sure it definitely just is the assumption that everybody knows it's bad to be fat yeah everybody and, knows and yeah and then they go on and on about you know it's bad to be fat it's bad to be sedentary and then we sit in chairs watching lectures for eight hours a day and you're like oh yeah <laughs> And then they lecture you on how important it is to take care of your physical health and don't give you any, not a lot of time to do it. So, yeah, my conversation with Reagan, we talked a lot about like, why, why does just everybody know? And so it's, it's gonna, I'm very excited for people to hear that episode. And cause it's really clear how that belief has, has happened. It's very like, it's very much a maintenance phase conversation where we like dive into, oh, and then the insurance company did this thing and this person lobbied this. And it's so like, it's so clear. And we we were joking about it's kind of tinfoil hat because it, but it's, it's true. These things happen. It's kind of like, you know, the lobbying of the pharmaceutical companies to shift the BMI 
down so that suddenly overnight 20 more million 20 million more people were declared obese and now they could sell more of their drug i mean and then and then doctors do that they think it's based on science it's not it's based on money and then it just this it just perpetuates and perpetuates it's this wheel that does not stop turning <sighs> yeah so it's very frustrating <laughs> so and i want to know how did you take care of yourself throughout this whole experience like i can just imagine so much Oh, gentleness and self-care was needed within the rigor of a program, too, because it's also a very rigorous program and your residence. Like, I don't think you're going to sleep for the next two years, I've heard. <laughs> so, you know, like, how do you take care of yourself through all of this, too? Um, Yeah. So, you know, it's, again, it's my community. Oh, like, I'm a big, I'm a big, I have feelings. I'm going to talk about them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so just having having people to, to go to and to talk to and having a therapist <laughs> who I can go to and talk to. And then somebody put me in touch with another medical student in Saskatchewan who was like very health at every size informed. And so she was a really good ally for me um, in my first couple of years as just someone I could message and be like, this is really hard. And she would be like, I, and she was actually going through, you know, she wasn't a fat person, but she was experiencing medical school as well. And she knew what, the, you know, a lot of the content would have been the same or similar. Um, so that was helpful. And just making time for things that were not medicine, you know, lots of walks in nature, lots of looking at trees and mushrooms. And <laughs> Are you a forager? Do you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I take pictures of mushrooms because I like, I like them, but I'm not, I don't know what's good and what's not. So I don't want to risk it. <laughs> yeah. But I'm lucky in Prince George, there's a lot of really beautiful places to walk and um, there's places to cross country ski that are really close to town and you just go out for a nice little time in the woods and with friends. It's uh, hard to beat. Um, yeah. Nice. Oh, so good. Well, I feel like that's leading perfectly into what is my final question on the podcast, which is always, so Joy, how do you stay connected to Joy? How do you remember to turn towards and choose Joy? Well, I think I'm a bit of a happy-go-lucky person. I find it very easy to tap into Joy, even when I'm like stressed out of my mind. Um I just, I, I guess I'm like one of those kind of childish people who like, every time I see a dog, I feel happy. Every time I see an animal, I feel happy. Every time I see a mushroom or a sunrise, like I'm very easy to please. Uh, so that, <laughs> you know, I float in water and I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. So I think I, I'm very, I think one of my strengths is definitely being able to indulge in, in, you know, simple, simple pleasures. <laughs> That's such a gift, such a gift, Anne. Yeah. Yeah. My partner and I joke that we have like the grumpy sunshine dynamic because he's a bit of a curmudgeon. <laughs> oh my gosh, totally mine too. I'm like, how do we work? I'm like, yes, sunshine roses. And he's like, 
the world. I'm like, Everything's the pit. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. But he 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 finds it endearing that I find it the whole world endearing. So it works. <laughs> I love that. I'm a little it's funny. I go back and forth. I talk to someone like you and I'm like, the world is amazing. I have so much hope. And then I like look at the news. I'm like, everything sucks. I hate everyone. So I kind of I do go back and forth, but generally I'm very similar to you in that. Like, yeah, I can, I'm usually pretty joyful and find, I love that idea. I love that you named it. I hadn't thought about it in this way before, but again, the pleasure in small things, like I could just sit and look out a window and watch the the snowflakes come down and yeah. be like, this yeah. is a miracle. I know. Like, it's so beautiful. I know. Well, like we just went to Niagara Falls this, this past weekend and I'm just like, I could just stand and look at these waterfalls for the rest of my life. <laughs> I went to a, a farm sanctuary last weekend for a couple of days. Just I like to take a couple of days solo every like six to eight weeks if I can. And I could just watch pigs eat pumpkins forever. They had all these pumpkins that were like left over from Halloween. Actually, they're eating them and they were just big pigs and little potbelly pigs. And they were all just like munching pumpkin. <laughs> and I was like, I'm just going to stand here for an hour. I just, right? So good. <laughs> yeah. So and, then, and then the turkey was eyeing me up and I had to go because apparently my red boots were activating for the turkey. Oh, like, yes. He was giving me some side eye. <laughs> we came out into our parking lot yesterday and there's all these little turkey footprints in the snow and like all along my partner's car. And we were like, what the heck? Like just so many little footprints and then his neighbor came out and said oh yeah i had to scare the turkey off because it's attacking your it's reflection in the side of your oh car. my god <laughs> did it do any damage turkeys are big i had no idea they were that big when i was really close to it i thought oh these claws and this beak like could have done oh, some yeah. damage <laughs> yeah no it didn't look like it did any damage thankfully but it, it is a turkey that just kind of generally lives in the backyard here so oh, that's so it, cool it still could happen <laughs> Well, I hope not. <laughs> oh, and it has been such a pleasure to talk to you. I'm just so in awe of the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for being an advocate. I will speak on behalf of all fat people. Thank you. I will take that. Yeah, it's just so good to have tendrils of hope for yeah. us. Well, thank you so much for having me and, and for the work that you're, do you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Before we go, I'd like to read a poem because poetry can reach our hearts in a different way. Poems can have us feel in a different way. And that's what this podcast is all about. Expanding our hearts, deepening our empathy, and inviting in joy. So each week, you get a new poem. In my conversation with Anne McGlattery, they spoke about how finding pleasure in the small things is one of the ways they connect to joy. And so that had me wanting to share this poem by Elizabeth Paulette Coughlin called Bless Small Things. Crickets and stones you can hold in your hand, coins from foreign countries, amber to rub when you're afraid. Bless small things. The child you once were, the child within you now. Bless the color blue, the holy sting of salt. 
Thank you for joining me today. My hope is that you're feeling a little less alone and a little more seen. So until the next episode, you can find me on Instagram at fatjoy.life, on YouTube at youtube.com slash at fatjoy, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash fatjoy. Please do check out the show notes for how you can connect with my amazing guest and for the links to the poem. All right, lovely. I am sending you off with my best wishes for an abundantly fat joy day, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye-bye.